You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Read the manual and the ransomware as a service market. Bitter APT may be targeting Asia-Pacific energy companies. A cozy bear sighting? Activist auxiliaries hit Canadian targets. Deepen Desai of Zscaler describes job scams following tech layoffs. Our guest is Kelly Shortridge from Fastly with insights on the risks from bots. And there's been an arrest in the Discord Papers case. Cyberwire Studios at Data Tribe. I'm Dave Bittner with your Cyberwire summary for Friday, April 14th, 2023. Trellix shared some behind the scenes insight into the operations and goals of the Read the Manual Ransomware as a Service gang yesterday known prior for their ransomware activity against corporate enterprises. The threat actors also have a notable specific set of rules that require strict adherence from affiliates. The gang requires its affiliates to remain active or make their leave known, lest 10 days pass without notification, in which case the offending affiliate will be locked out of the gang's control panel. Accessing the panel requires a username and password for affiliates, as well as the entry of a CAPTCHA code. Once the user has entered the panel, they can add ransomed victims and set a timer for the release of the data. A section of a ransom note from the gang reads, All your documents, photos, reports, customer and employee data, databases, and other important files are encrypted, and you cannot decrypt them yourself. They are also on our servers. Trellix reports that certain targets are considered off-limits. Former Soviet republics are excluded, as well as morgues, hospitals, and COVID-19 vaccine-related corporations. For some reason, dentistry is fair game. The use of the word hospitals rather than doctor's offices as a point of exclusion is also highlighted by the researchers. One rule in particular emphasizes the avoidance of making headlines— which also removes vital infrastructure, law enforcement, and other major corporations as targeting points. In the case that a major corporation is impacted or makes headlines, 
all references and traces connected to the RTM gang are to be immediately removed with negotiations to take place on a differing platform. The researchers suspect that there are affiliates and gang members on opposite sides of the war between Russia and Ukraine. In any case, the gang seems to be opportunistic in their attacks and driven by financial as opposed to political motives. Intezer concludes that a new string of energy sector-targeted phishing attacks are using tactics that resemble those previously used by Bitter APT. Bitter APT is a South Asian threat group that commonly targets energy and government sectors. They've been known to target Pakistan, China, Bangladesh, and Saudi Arabia. The group makes its approach through phishing. Although Bitter APT's involvement in the attacks is not fully confirmed, there are circumstantial grounds that point in its direction. The researchers have found that the threat actors are using the same tactics previously observed by the Bitter APT group, such as the use of Microsoft Office exploits through Excel files and the use of CHM and Windows installer files. The exploits have been noted to initiate with an email to personnel in the energy sector being invited to a conference or roundtable. Intezer writes, The lures are designed to socially engineer the recipient to download and open an attached RAR file that contains either a Microsoft-compiled HTML help or Excel payload. Intezer advises that entities in government, energy, and engineering, especially those in the Asia-Pacific region, should remain vigilant when receiving emails, especially those claiming to be from other diplomatic entities. Always verify that the sender is trusted and understand that even if it claims to be from a particular person, it might not be. CERT Polska, Poland's cybersecurity authority, warns that APT-29, the unit of Russia's SVR Foreign Intelligence Service that's also tracked as Cozy Bear and Nobelium, is actively pursuing diplomatic targets in many nations, principally NATO members. The campaign's goal is espionage, and its approach is spearfishing. The warning states, In all observed cases, the actor utilized spearfishing techniques. Emails impersonating embassies of European countries were sent to selected personnel at diplomatic posts. The correspondence contained an invitation to a meeting or to work together on documents. In the body of the message or in an attached PDF document, a link was included purportedly directing to the ambassador's calendar, meeting details, or a downloadable file. Polish authorities recommend that organizations implement configuration changes to protect themselves from Cozy Bear's come-ons. The Russian hacktivist auxiliary no-name 05716 claimed responsibility for a DDoS attack against Hydro-Quebec yesterday. CTV News Montreal quotes the group's communique, Continuing our visits to Canada, the website of Hydro-Quebec, the company responsible for generating and transporting electricity in Quebec, was put down. The Toronto Star reports that the power company's website and mobile app sustained disruption. Power generation and distribution were unaffected, a Hydro-Quebec spokesman said, nor were customer data compromised. They did not take any information from us. It's an attack on our website that makes it unavailable for our customers, unfortunately, the spokesman said. Hydro-Quebec is the province's major supplier of electricity. It's also a major exporter of power to the U.S. state of New York. 
And finally, whatever influencer fantasies may have been driving OG and the Thug Shaker Central followers who hung on his Discord posts, the reality principle asserted itself yesterday in the form of an FBI raid on the alleged leaker's home in Dighton, Massachusetts. Airman First Class Jack Teixeira was arrested at his home yesterday in connection with his alleged role in the leak of classified information over Discord. The 21-year-old cyber transport system specialist is, or was, assigned to the Massachusetts Air National Guard's 102nd Intelligence Wing at Otis Air National Guard Base on Cape Cod. An Airman First Class is a junior enlisted rank, an E-3, the equivalent of a U.S. Army Private First Class or a U.S. Navy Seaman. The New York Times observes that how Airman Teixeira obtained access to the range of classified information he's alleged to have shared under his hacker name OG with the even younger members of his Discord club remains unclear. The investigation continues, and according to Reuters, Discord is cooperating with authorities. The U.S. Department of Defense has pointed out that leaking doesn't amount to declassification. Pentagon Press Secretary Brigadier General Jack Ryder said, Just because classified information may be posted online or elsewhere does not mean it has been declassified by a classification authority. We're just not going to discuss or confirm classified information due to the potential impact on national security, as well as the safety and security of our personnel and those of our allies and our partners. And for that reason, we will continue to encourage those of you who are reporting this story to take these latter factors into account and to consider the potential consequences of posting potentially sensitive documents or information online or elsewhere. So, stand by and beware of the leaks. Coming up after the break... Deepin Desai from Zscaler describes job scams following tech layoffs. Our guest is Kelly Shortridge from Fastly with insights on the risks from bots. Stick around. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. (laughs) 
And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. The bar has been lowered for criminals looking to employ bots for fraud and abuse, with an increasing availability of bot platforms and turnkey solutions. Kelly Shortridge is Senior Principal for Product Technology at cloud services provider Fastly. I reached out to her for insights on battling bots. One of the trends I think is often overlooked when we talk about bots, which is very much that they're part of the nefarious scourge of automated attacks. And this is really about attackers being able to operate in scale and automate their operations, whether that's something like credential stuffing or some of the more business logic specific attacks that I just mentioned. So we have kind of across the board, including things like Cobalt Strike, by the way, when we are looking at, you know, more traditional flavors of attack, but attackers are really starting to automate and scale all of their malicious aims which is generally undesirable, right? Um, Especially given that defenders in cybersecurity are not really known for being particularly adroit at automating and scaling what they do. Attackers are very good at that, it turns out. So in thinking about kind of the spectrum of it, a lot of it really has to do with the fact that it is very cheap now from an attacker perspective to pursue some kind of like account takeover campaign. Um, I think it's on the dark... Net, you can get a campaign started for as little as like $3 or something like that. It's it's often very cheap. I'd like to think of it in economic terms as like the barrier to market entry has been lowered. So you no longer have to be a specific cyber criminal organization. You could very much be a criminal organization that wants to dabble in cyber business pursuits. And now essentially it's just much easier and lower friction to get into the market and start to automate some of these bot attacks. Um, so I think that's that's a big driver that we see is simple ROI. Attackers get economies of scale from pursuing bot attacks, and they're able to pursue it across a bunch of different avenues. So in a way, it's kind of like diversifying the revenue streams. And indeed, I mean, there are, there are folks out there offering these bot as a service platforms where, you know, you, you can, as, as you say, it doesn't cost a whole lot of money. Uh, to to wrangle up a, a collection of bots to do your bidding. Absolutely, it can be very inexpensive, and I think I think it actually matches the meta trend that we see in commercial legitimate B two B software. More things are becoming as a service, both for us and for attackers as well. Yeah, with ATO specifically, I think it's as little as five to twenty five dollars, like you were saying. Um, mm. Just makes it really easy to diversify those revenue streams. And again, it's very much I think matching what we see in the commercial world too. I think to your point, there's the rise of like different ransomware as a service operators. In the sneaker bot world, it's the AIO, which is for all-in-one bot, 
There are also other bot platforms or bot as a service platforms like Sentry MBA for credential stuffing. It really runs the gamut. Um, and then, of course, like I said, there's Cobalt Strike, which is the classic platform for your more, you know, traditional attack styles. And so what are we seeing in terms of the evolution of defenses against this? That certainly is something Fastly thinks about a lot. And obviously, we already do a lot today. And a lot of what I've talked about really drives our focus on what we call both anti-automation and anti-bot and actually anti-fraud, because a lot of companies think about it through that lens. So we're essentially trying to help automate and scale defense against bots and automated attacks of all kinds. This includes not just what we build, but also we support a lot of initiatives we believe in. So I'll mention a few. Um, If you're familiar with Apple's private access tokens and then Google's private stake tokens, both of those are a way to help automate and scale defenses by design, which is really what we want. We don't want those bolt-ons. They don't work as well. And importantly, with both of those initiatives, it's in a way that's invisible to end users, which we we shouldn't expect end users to be experts, right? They're not technical most of the time. And it's on us to make sure that the solutions to protect against bots and the bad outcomes of bots for those end users, we need to make sure it's just seamless for them. So these innovations are no longer like requiring users to jump through hoops with annoying CAPTCHAs. I know I fail CAPTCHAs a lot, which makes me wonder in a very Blade Runner way, like, am I a bot when I'm failing these CAPTCHAs? (laughs) I'm sure I'm not the only one because who among us hasn't wondered like, okay, should we click the square that has that tiny, tiny sliver of crosswalk? Does that count? (laughs) Suddenly you're having an existential crisis. Exactly. So we don't want to, listen, our industry is already not particularly liked by other people. We don't want to be causing existential crises. So uh, (laughs) implementing these defenses by design is just a really important strategy when we think about the scope of, you know, what's a modern way um, of protecting a modern internet from harm by bots. Some of the other defenses that are often overlooked, I think rate limiting is one of those things Weirdly, people take for granted because it's been around for a while. It's in the words of, I don't know if there are any great British Bake Off listeners listening to this, but (laughs) Paul Hollywood, the judge, always says it's simple but effective. Rate limiting is very much simple but effective. It's not fancy, but it works. Um, And that can even protect against developers, you know, make a mistake when they're calling an API and accidentally DOS it, which has a similar sort of outcome as a bot in some cases. And the lovely thing about rate limiting is that it doesn't have to require user interaction. It can very much serve as like a safeguard rather than just some sort of, you know, alerting device or even worse, like an administrative control or policy, both of which are less reliable just because they rely more on human attention and human attention is very much finite. I think back to the CAPTCHAs, right? The existential crisis generator. (laughs) Um, It relies very heavily on human attention and it doesn't really respect that attention. And in some sense, you can think about it as a very antiquated technique that was a very convenient bandage for a while. It was particularly convenient for content providers, not so much end users, of course, but it really isn't fit for solving some of these modern problems. To what degree do you suppose organizations should be uh, preparing for that kind of low-level nuisance sort of thing, the day-to-day stuff that's going to be coming at them? Versus the episodic flood of activity that can, you know, can, can lead to a, a very bad day? It's a great question and one that customers and then other organizations ask us and me a lot. My view is certainly you need to think about what's the biggest impact to your business. If a nuisance, like low volume thing, it, maybe it causes a little disruption to end users, but not enough that they migrate away from the platform or reduces the amount they spend 
maybe you don't worry about that so much. Maybe you try to offload it onto a provider rather than investing a lot in building some sort of solution yourself. Especially, you know, as everyone says right now, in these macroeconomic conditions, but in truth, in these macroeconomic conditions, budgets are finite, so you need to prioritize pretty ruthlessly. And it means, like you said, something that's maybe a flood that could disrupt your business, you might want to invest more. Maybe that's offloading it onto a provider that specializes in it. Specializes in it. Certainly, uh, that is the option that officially Fastly would like because we are experts in dealing with these problems. But realistically, there's some organizations that have really good like platform engineering teams that can build these kind of solutions as well. So my my take is always you need to think about what's actually going to impact your business and invest accordingly. And you need to think about what are the must-haves versus nice-to-haves versus, you know, it's kind of like checking a box and then is it a waste of time? Certainly what we see from customers is eventually nuisance threats can add up. If you have a, a small nuisance that ends up at scale becomes a pretty widespread problem. Um, I think a lot of people listening have probably seen the problem of, maybe this is just a New Yorker sort of problem, but uh, mm-hmm. fake review bots where you have no idea like, okay, is this sushi place actually good? Or is this like a, a kind of like widespread bot posting a bunch of like, this tasted great sort of messages. Um, mm. That's very much not very impactful. But once it scales, you start to have end users being like, okay, well, I'm not going to trust these reviews anymore. So that's something, again, that's very specific to a company's business logic. And in general, you do need to think in terms of like, what's the business logic that matters? Why do customers use our platform or service or app? And what kind of disruptions to their end user experience will actually cause harm? And then you can invest accordingly. That's Kelly Shortridge from Fastly. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear more, head on over to the CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you'll get access to this and many more extended interviews. Joining me once again is Deepan Desai. He is the global CISO and head of security research and operations at Zscaler. Uh, Deepan, always a pleasure to welcome you back to the show. You know, we have been seeing a lot of layoffs uh, in the tech community lately. And uh, I know you want to point out that there are some scammers out there who are looking to take advantage of that unfortunate reality. Yes. So this is a campaign that we started tracking um, this year, especially after so many layoffs happening in the tech industry, uh, we noticed that these folks are essentially, um, you know, setting up pages with fake job postings. And the content is uh, almost entirely mirrored from the original uh, content on, on, on these organizations whose job postings are being leveraged. So Zscaler was one of the organization, uh, which was, uh, who, whose job postings were used in this campaign. There were, more than half a dozen other tech companies uh, that we saw where threat actors took the job posting of these organizations and then they were targeting uh, you know, those uh, job seekers who were potentially laid off. 
and um, you know perform financial fraud. So uh, to give a quick rundown, Zscaler Threat Labs team, um, as part of our tracking, observed multiple suspicious job portals and surveys, uh, which are essentially being used to solicit information from job seekers, but under the guise of the these organizations, uh, right, which are trying to hire even in this trying times. Um, threat actors did masquerade as recruiters from these organizations. So they will say, if uh, you are a recruiter for company A, they will take your image, they will create a Skype profile, they will, they will use your name and picture to reach out to these victims. They will also register a domain that uh, matches the organization that they're uh, trying to use in targeting these uh, job seekers. So uh, let's take an example, zscaler.com. So what they can do is they will go zscaler.work or zscaler.live. Any of those generic TLDs will be leveraged to set up a page where this job posting will be listed. And then they will reach out to these uh folks with links pointing to this uh, job posting, and then they will schedule an interview. The victim will always pass the interview. And uh, I've, I've uh, heard uh, stories of uh, three hours, five hours long interview where more than one person talks to these uh, victims. Um, and, and then at the end of it, um, it's kind of sad. The, the, the guy on the other end feels happy that they've cleared the interview. They're looking forward to getting employed again. Uh, but the folks over here, they're, they're essentially trying to scam them uh, out of money and then also collecting the sensitive information. Well, that was going to be my next question. Well, what exactly are they after here? Are they How, how are they trying to get money from these folks or, or that information from them? Yeah, so there are couple things they will do. One, obviously, is the information that they will make uh, these candidates fill out as part of uh, the job application. So they will have a lot of details collected as part of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second thing that we noticed in a couple of the cases, uh, one was where they will ask the employee to make a payment uh, in order to ship IT equipments. So that Mm -hmm. was one. Another one was they will ask the employee to make a payment for this uh, training that they want the candidate to go through uh, the new hire training, which which is very surprising. But yes, that's that's one of the tactics that they use to to ask uh, the candidate to pay money. Hmm. And they're promising reimbursement that that will obviously never come. Correct. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, you know, the scammers take advantage of people when they're at their weakest. And uh, it, is a, it is a shame. Very sad, as you mentioned. Yep. Deepin Desai, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. 
And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Scott Fanning, Senior Director of Product Management and Cloud Security at CrowdStrike. We're talking about the first ever Darrow crypto jacking operation targeting Kubernetes infrastructure. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The CyberWire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfin, Tim Nodar, Jason Cole, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Maria Vermatsis, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Millie Lardy, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Catherine Murphy, Janine Daly, Jim Hoshite, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, Simone Petrella, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire.